Welcome to the Erectile Dysfunction Radio Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to educating and empowering men to address erectile dysfunction, improve confidence, and enhance the satisfaction in their relationships. This podcast is brought to you by ErectionIQ.com. Learn more at ErectionIQ.com. Welcome to the Erectile Dysfunction Radio Podcast. I am Mark Goldberg, Certified Sex Therapist. I am deeply passionate about working with men like you to help resolve their ED. Today, we have the pleasure of being joined by Dr. Jed Kamenetsky. Dr. Kamenetsky is a board-certified urologist practicing in New York. He is an assistant clinical professor of urology at New York University Grossman School of Medicine. He is an expert in male sexual dysfunction, low testosterone, and prostate issues. In addition to seeing patients in his practice, Dr. Kamenetsky conducts research and is the director of the Manhattan Medical Research Institute, which is on the cutting edge of researching novel treatments for these conditions. Dr. Kamenetsky, thank you very much for joining us. My pleasure. Great to be here. So today we want to explore and better understand the link, if any, between premature ejaculation and erectile dysfunction. Dr. Kamenetsky, can you tell us a little bit more about your practice and your research? Okay, sure. So I have a a large clinical practice in Midtown Manhattan. Um, I I specialize in men's health, mostly benign diseases, although we do treat a lot of prostate cancers. So we see a lot of men with low testosterone, uh, erectile dysfunction, premature ejaculation, as well as uh, voiding dysfunction due to BPH. Uh, In our research arm of the uh, practice, We've been involved in the clinical development of most of the ED drugs on the market, a lot of different treatments for premature ejaculation and low testosterone as well. Now, this podcast is called the Erectile Dysfunction Radio Podcast, and no doubt that erectile dysfunction is our primary focus. In my experience, however, patients rarely present with a single issue. And sexual dysfunction often comes in bundles with low desire, premature ejaculation, delayed ejaculation, and erectile dysfunction, either co-occurring or having happened sequentially. Do you have a similar experience? Yeah, absolutely. First off, the most common male sexual dysfunction is premature ejaculation. So most men at some time in their sexual life have uh, some ejaculatory issues, as you mentioned, delayed orgasm. That's um, actually a very difficult problem to treat and is less common than premature ejaculation. Um, But, you know, the root of erectile, one of the main causes of erectile dysfunction is stress, anxiety. So if you're anxious about coming too quickly, it's going to affect your ability to have an erection. So I think it's important for listeners and patients to understand that there's a physiologic mechanism behind this. So stress increases sympathetic tone, the adrenergic nervous system. So if, if anybody's been outside in the cold weather, Uh, what happens to your fingers? They get numb. And why do they get numb? Because the blood vessels are constricted. The body is trying to keep blood in the the core. So the the penis is an extremity. 
uh, not unlike the fingers. And when you have stress, blood vessels constrict to the penis and you can't get an erection. What do you need to get an erection? You need relaxation, relaxation of the blood vessels to allow more blood flow. Anything, as you said, you know, any other concomitant uh, sexual problem, in this case, most commonly premature ejaculation, increases sympathetic tone, decreases blood flow, and can be associated with erectile dysfunction. So I want to make sure that I'm following you along with our listeners. If I'm understanding you correctly, the stress or anxiety of one sexual dysfunction could um, have a direct impact on the nervous system in the body, thereby causing another sexual dysfunction. Is that correct? Absolutely. Yeah. Now, staying on the topic of premature ejaculation, it has a really unique clinical definition, which involves penetrative sex and also has a not so well-defined ejaculatory latency time. How do you determine when a patient actually has premature ejaculation or is just looking to last longer in bed? That's a really good question. There are different definitions. So as, as we said, I do clinical research. So in clinical trials, premature ejaculation is defined as less than one minute of penetration. So in the studies, patients use a stopwatch, which is not very sexy or natural, but that's the way we do it. And if they ejaculate in less than one minute, they're considered a premature ejaculator. Now, in the real world, it's a much broader definition. Part of what we have to consider when we're talking about premature ejaculation is, uh, one, how long does it take uh, most women to orgasm? Because that's what many men, if they're having sex with women, and all these definitions are very heteronormative. So they're talking about heterosexual men having vaginal penetrative sex, which is not what obviously all men do. Uh, so women take a long time, a longer time to orgasm. So there's this orgasm gap that uh, people talk about because men tend to come before uh, climax before women. So um, I'm sure this may surprise some of your listeners, not to you, but what's the average time that people have sex in the United States intercourse. It's about five minutes. I was going to so, say about five, five to seven minutes, I think is what, you know, they put the range at, but, but realistically, I think it's a little closer to five than seven. Right. So that's average. So most men don't want to be average when it comes to sex, right? They want to perform better. So so if somebody comes to me and they're not happy with their ability to to last, you know, to me, that's something that we can treat. There's things that we can do to enhance, enhance that. Now, is it a disease? Is it a, a dysfunction? You know, maybe not. But if we can enhance people's sexual experience, in a safe, responsible way, I'm all for that. In other words, whether or not it meets a technical definition, if a man is coming to you and is distressed by the condition 
and again, we're, we're talking about people who are not saying, well, I last 20 minutes and I want to last 30 minutes, but right. people who are in that range, it's having an impact on their relationship. It's causing some kind of distress. What I'm gathering from you is that that's something that you would help them try to resolve, whether or not it meets a technical definition. Absolutely. And so, you know, there's two components to premature ejaculation. One is the amount of time that a man lasts. And equally distressing to a lot of men is that sensation of a lack of control. So they're not in control of when they're going to finish. And so what men do, you've you know, heard you know, jokes about thinking about your grandmother or thinking about baseball statistics to try to distract yourself. Well, that's not a way to have sex, is it? That's not a way to in, enjoy sex by trying to pretend you're doing something else. Yes, I, ideally, that's definitely not the uh, uh, setup that men want to find themselves in. And Dr. Kamenetsky, with your permission, I want to come to talk about some of the treatments for premature ejaculation in just a couple moments. But first, if you can help our listeners understand what, what happens during the ejaculatory process, and in particular, what happens when something is going wrong, like PE? You know, men... Well, you know, ejaculation and orgasm is a end response of sexual excitement. So men experience sexual excitement in, in different ways without going into the physiology and what's happening in the brain and serotonin levels and things like that. Basically, men get some men just get excited and reach climax too easily. Now, why is it? I don't think there's really a medical, uh, physiologic uh, problem. I think it, in, a, in a lot of cases, it's just the way men develop sexually. So how do men, men's, most uh, men started masturbating at a young age? Um, when you masturbated, as a kid, you might have done it very quickly. You didn't want it, your mother to walk in. You didn't want to get caught. And it was very, it felt good, right? So you're very sort of end game oriented. And some men just, you know, you develop, you've developed this muscle memory. So I think there's a lot of muscle memory in, in sex as well as, you know, a lot of things that we do. And it, People can retrain their muscle memory. I, it's difficult, though, when it comes to premature ejaculation. I'm sure that's something that you deal with in, in your practice every day. It certainly is. And, and what I'm gathering from you is that the learned behaviors at a very early age, uh, coupled with other uh, mental processes, play a really important and primary role in the uh, development of and maintenance of premature ejaculation. So I think you've really answered my next question, but I'm going to go ahead and ask it just to get clarity. So is PE something that can be tested for, or is it really just diagnosed based on patient reporting? Yeah, I think it's just talking to a patient, taking a history. I think anybody, there are men who come to me primarily with the complaint of premature ejaculation. And then there are uh, many more men who come to me with uh, either a more generalized sexual issue or 
erectile dysfunction. And then in the course of the history taking, we'll talk about their ejaculatory control. And many of these men have concomitant ED and premature ejaculation. And hopefully we'll come to speak about uh, some of those men in just a couple moments. But before we we get to that ED premature ejaculation link, can you give us a quick overview of some of the premature ejaculation treatment options? There is nothing that's FDA approved in the United States for premature ejaculation. So uh, the pharmaceutical drugs that we use are all off-label. My first-line treatment for men with premature ejaculation is some sort of numbing spray or wipe. And the the one that I use the most and I find the greatest uh, patient satis- satisfaction is the promescent delay spray. And the reason why I, I like this particular product is it's very easy to use. It's a spray so patients can control how much they use. A more severe rapid ejaculators might use a little more. People who, like you mentioned earlier, just want to last a little little longer might use less. So the patient's in control of how much they use. Secondly, it's very rapidly uh, absorbed. So it gets absorbed into the epidermis, the superficial layer of the skin. And so there's not the issue of transference that you may see with some other products. So if uh, the woman's going to have numbness as a result of this, that sort of defeats the purpose. So we we don't see that with uh, promescent. So that's my number one go-to solution. Uh, Next, if uh, the patients uh, are not responding, and most patients have a satisfactory response to promescent, uh, then we might use the the SSRIs. The the SSRI class are, are antidepressant medicines. And we're not prescribing it because the patients are depressed. We are prescribing it to capture a very common side effect of this group of drugs, and that's delayed orgasm. So in women who take these drugs, they have the opposite problem. They have difficulty achieving orgasm when they use these drugs, or men who may not have premature ejaculation might experience delayed orgasm or diminished libido or even erectile dysfunction with this class of drugs. But what we're doing is we're prescribing the drug to capture the side effect. Now, the problem is you have to take the drug every day. It's not, they aren't effective on demand. Like a man would take a Viagra before he wants to have sex. These drugs have to be in the system to reach a a steady state level. And there is a on-demand SSRI, but it wasn't approved here in the United States. It's called dupoxetine, and uh, it's available in Canada. It's available in Europe, but the FDA decided that it uh, was the efficacy didn't work, wasn't worth the potential side effects of those drugs. So that's the most common 
oral medication we prescribe. If, if those don't work or patients don't tolerate the SSRIs, and many, many men don't tolerate them, another potential treatment is tramadol. And tramadol is a uh, centrally acting agent, works on the brain. It's uh, prescribed as a pain medication. And again, we're using it to capture the side effect. Uh, the reason I don't use tramadol more frequently is that it, uh, it's a controlled substance and has, does have a, a low addictive potential. So those are the three you know, potential go-tos, it sounds like. Number one is, is a, a numbing spray, like Promescent. Um, number two would be an off-label use of an SSRI. Um, if I understood you correctly, the on-demand version is not approved and I would assume difficult to obtain in the United States, but maybe available in other countries. Um, so it really would be more of a slow-acting SSRI if a man can tolerate that. Is that correct? That is correct, yes. Okay, so coming back to this link between premature ejaculation and ED. So premature ejaculation is ejaculating too quickly, and at times this is associated with overexcitation, and ED is often associated with lack of excitation. How can these conditions cause one another to occur? And I know you touched on this a little bit in terms of Know, things kind of going back to the brain and the stress. Is there a way that you can elaborate on that? I'm not sure I would characterize ED as a lack of excitement or because these men may be very excited, almost overexcited. So there's um, it, ED is a lack of blood flow. So um, how, how do you define erectile dysfunction? It's the inability to achieve or maintain an erection to completion. And how do you achieve or maintain an erection uh, to completion? You need a tremendous amount of blood flow and then that blood flow to be trapped in the penis. So uh, the link is anxiety and stress. So as we talked about before, anything that makes a man uh, nervous, so if he's nervous, he's going to come too quickly, or if he's nervous, he's going to lose his erection, that's going to cause a constriction of, of blood flow to the penis and make it more difficult to achieve and maintain that erection. So again, if I'm understanding you correctly, and, and and we may view this slightly differently in the sense that when I look at this psychogenically, the you know, lack of blood flow caused by stress, um, I think I see that as you know not also not allowing for excitation to occur. Mm. Um, certainly with the men that I work with, um, once that anxiety process gets started, um, their ability to to really dial into excitation is severely limited. Um, so it's very possible we're really talking about two sides of the same coin. But what I'm gathering from you is that oftentimes it's another sexual dysfunction that causes that stress process to get started that has both 
mental and subsequently physical components that restrict the blood flow. Is that correct? Yeah. And it's, so we're talking now about a, a large subset of men with erectile dysfunction. The other subset of men with erectile dysfunction has nothing to do with anxiety. It has to do with, in many cases, diminished blood flow due to diabetes, due to atherosclerosis, um, other things. But at the end of the day, the end result is the same. It's the lack of blood flow. So it's all hydraulics. It's all, you know, there's a lot of things that contribute to it. But at the end of the day, it's it's all about blood flow. And if, if, Good. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's okay. I, I imagine with this group of patients that have more of a physical component that is impeding on that blood flow, the link between PE and erectile dysfunction may not be as easy to establish because the ED really may be driven primarily by a physical and less by distress about PE leading to a restriction of blood flow or lack. You of- know, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But I was just you know, trying to say, you know, at the end of the day, if it's, you know, PE, stress, anxiety, being mad at your wife, um, or on the other hand, having diabetes, atherosclerosis, at the end of the day, you know, the penis is reacting the same. It's just not getting the blood flow. But in the group of patients we're talking about tonight, yeah, it's being precipitated by this, uh, anxiety over premature ejaculation. And and by the way, I, I find that speaking to women and speaking to, to men about their relationships with women, somehow women understand erectile dysfunction, but when a man has premature ejaculation, on, so, on some level, I, I, you know, maybe I'm overgeneralizing, but many women are less understanding about that. They find, you know, they think the man might be just selfish or not responsive to their needs. And it it creates, can create a big schism in a a relationship. And, you know, it's not that, you know, I I saw, saw a patient just yesterday who is telling me how he uh, ejaculates immediately on penetration and how angry his wife gets. And his wife now doesn't want to have sex, which is, you know, somewhat understandable because it's, you know, not that pleasurable for her. So this is really a couple, a couple's problem that impacts both partners equally. And I think that kind of goes back to what you brought up about the definition of premature ejaculation, having that subjective component, really, that each uh, person, each man really is going to be uh, based on his relationship, based on his own you know, conception of self is going to define that differently. Um, so you know, I imagine that there are many women who do struggle with that rapid ejaculation um, and feeling distressed, whether that's happening at the one minute mark or whether that's at the two minute mark or even at the three minute mark, this could be a distressing factor 
regardless of the exact timing. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, if there's a mismatch between the two partners, that uh, is going to lead to, you know, stress and strife and mismatch of, you know, desire. And it just goes down a path of, you know, creating difficulty and increasing the stress, which just in many cases compounds the problem. Now, Dr. Kamenetsky, I see a strong mental overlap or causality between erectile dysfunction and premature ejaculation. And I'm gathering that that seems to be one of the primary mechanisms that you're describing is that certainly if a man is distressed by premature ejaculation, as we've established already, that can lead to stress, stress release, and restriction of blood flow. sounds like that's happening all up at central command in the brain. Is there any physical, meaning non-brain, physical link between these two conditions? In other words, Mm. erectile dysfunction is a physical process you described of increased large amounts of blood flow to the penis. On the physiological part of premature ejaculation, is there any overlap or causality? And the reason why I think this question is important, because a lot of the men that I work with, and certainly a lot of our listeners do really want to rule that out before they go down the mental process. And I do a lot of education on this, but I would love to get your take on this question. Well, that's a, it's a, a very good question. And a lot of men that I speak to really on some level want their erectile dysfunction to be physiological. Because if you have a a physical problem, it's, you know, you can understand it. And it's men are, there's a lot of ego involved here. And it's easier to accept that a lot of people that have a physical problem than it's just stress and anxiety. I think there's a, a tremendous overlap between erectile dysfunction and premature ejaculation. I don't think there's really in the vast majority of patients that I see a physiologic mechanism that's at play here. But uh, one thing that I I, I didn't mention as we were talking, uh, it popped into my head. So when we were talking about treatments, so a lot of these men, we, we focused, talked about treatments focused on premature ejaculation. So we didn't really focus on the treating the uh, concomitant ED. So very often what I'll do is I'll put these uh, men on a PD-5 inhibitor, uh, either uh, sildenafil or tadalafil, to help give them confidence that they're going to not lose their erection. And that also may help the PE a little bit. And in the younger men, who take a a Viagra, they may stay hard for another minute or two after they ejaculate. And someone who's ejaculating in two minutes, that's uh, increasing the time they can uh, penetrate by doubling it. So I think that's an important treatment option for many men who suffer from both these problems. I appreciate you bringing that up. I was 
really about to ask you just about this question, which <laughs> with the uh, with the numbing sprays or with the SSRIs, does that at times impact erections? Well, the numbing sprays don't impact erection. So the the numbing sprays like promescent <clears throat> is a superficial cutaneous epidermal uh, numbing, and the blood flow is uh, so is deep inside the penis, and uh, and much of the arousal that men experience is doesn't necessarily isn't necessarily tactile, but visual, auditory, um, and, and even then, you, it's, a, it's a very slight numbness. So it's not that your penis feels numb, that it's a, an inanimate, inanimate object. It just takes away a little bit of the edge. So the numbing spray, that's a very long-winded way to say, I don't think the numbing sprays cause erectile dysfunction in the slightest. The uh, SSRIs, can impact libido, uh, can in some cases impact erection, but usually for premature ejaculation, I'm prescribing a very low dose. So we're starting off at a low dose and uh, you know, occasionally we may bump it up a little bit. But so the SSRIs do have the potential to cause ED, but in, in the, the group of patients we're talking about, they usually don't. And one of the things that I heard you say that I think is really important for our listeners to to really take in is that, in your experience, the um, overwhelming bulk of the excitation that is necessary to facilitate an erection is really coming from the auditory, from the visual, from really kind of what the brain is processing far more than necessarily the tactile or the specific sensation in the penis. Yeah, I would stand by that. I want to come to one more area just to really help our listeners get a, a really solid picture here. Testosterone seems to be a very involved hormone in male sexual function. Low T is associated with erectile dysfunction. Is there such a thing as high T that would cause rapid ejaculation? Does testosterone play any role in premature ejaculation? I would say definitely high T doesn't cause premature ejaculation. Uh, I haven't seen or read of any corollary to that. Uh, low T definitely can be contribute to uh, erectile dysfunction. And uh, I, I think we, I see more patients with who complain of premature ejaculation who have low testosterone. And Low testosterone can be associated with uh, depression. So patients with uh, premature ejaculation may have anxiety, may be a little bit depressed about this, and and that affects the testosterone. So I I can't say the low T is causing the PE or just the whole general state of mind of the patient is, is impacting their testosterone. but. We see just slightly off topic, but Peyronie's disease, something that I I treat a lot of, a tremendous number of patients who have Peyronie's disease 
have low testosterone, much greater than the, the general population. So testosterone has many effects on the mind and body, and particularly on the penis, uh, many of which we, we may not fully understand as of yet. Got it. So it sounds like there is a corollary at times between low T but and, and premature ejaculation. But there is, you know, from your perspective, not necessarily any evidence that low testosterone would be causing premature ejaculation. They may just be associated through depression or whatnot. Correct. You know, having multiple co-occurring sexual dysfunctions can be overwhelming. What advice would you give to a man who is experiencing multiple sexual dysfunctions and feels stuck to make any meaningful progress toward the type of sex or sexuality that he wants? I try to determine what is primary. Is the, um, is the premature ejaculation causing the ED? Or sometimes patients with ED, they're you know, scared they're going to lose their erection. They'll ejaculate quickly because they're anxious or, or they don't want to lose their erection. It, it may be more embarrassing to just lose your erection. So I try to figure out what's primary and address that. But we can, you know, very often I'll put these patients on a, a PD-5 inhibitor and a spray such as uh, promescent, and this will treat both their problems. But you know, the, the scenario that you mentioned where the person's really feels stuck, you know, that's, uh, that's a patient I might send to someone like you, someone who could, uh, you know, I could, you know, might prescribe the medicines, but, but this man may need a little more help, a little more coaching and counseling and, uh, uh, talking to, and, uh, they have relationship issues and, you know, I, I try to address those things, but I think someone of your skill set might be appropriate to, uh, to work with uh, in conjunction with the urologist on, on that sort of patient. And I you know, couldn't agree more just with the uh, collaboration that I experienced with uh, some of the urologists that I work directly. And it seems like um, patients really have, um, you know, much better outcomes on the whole, um, when they're doing both, when they're really dealing with the physical side and those treatments, as well as, uh, the mental side, the relationships and whatnot, and doing both of those together seems to really lead to generally positive outcomes. Dr. Kamenetsky, I really appreciate your time coming on the podcast, I think our listeners are going to benefit tremendously. Uh, but would it be okay with you if we uh, leave a link to your either your practice's website or a direct contact to you if patients would want to go ahead and uh, schedule an appointment to get some of these issues addressed? Yes, that would be great. We are doing telehealth and we're, uh, <clears throat> patients could reach us you know, in our office in, in Manhattan, they, uh, uh, our website is universityurology.com. And people could also reach out to me on Instagram um, at Dr. Jed Kamenetsky. 
And we will be sure to leave a link in the episode description to make sure that our listeners, uh, certainly those in the New York area and uh, beyond, if it's appropriate, can reach you. Again, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Erectile Dysfunction Radio Podcast. For more information on today's topic and understanding how the mind impacts erectile dysfunction, please visit ErectionIQ.com. That's ErectionIQ.com.